This is my son Johnny and me. Uh, yeah, good eye contact. That's one of the myths about autism that you can't have. You can't have eye contact with autism. Nonsense. You can, uh, but on their terms often. This is the magazine. I started up in 1998, Temple Grandin on the front cover. And this is the wonderful Dame Stephanie Shirley. Um, a lot of you, I'm sure, know who she is. I don't need to introduce her. But um, she's put, donated millions of, of pounds of her from the Shirley Foundation into incredibly important and valuable uh, projects, autism projects, but others as well. And she came to me and um, said, would you like to write, travel around the world uh, and write a book on the history of autism, talking to the pioneers in the field? Um, you know, the um, colleagues of Leo Kanner, the uh, daughter of uh, Hans Asperger. You know, I'll pay you to do that. So I took about, I think I took two minutes, John, to, to say yes. Um, uh, one, no, it was an incredibly generous offer. I, I was delighted, and it was a fascinating book to write. I did go to um, many, very many countries, talked to the great pioneers in the field, a lot of them who were parents, like myself. Um, Johnny was diagnosed in 1996 with autism, severe autism. He uh, started to speak and then lost his language. So he's now nonverbal in a special college up near Manchester, in Audley Edge, doing very well. So there's the history of autism, which has now been published in, in quite a few languages, I'm glad to say, done very well. Um, and here's the latest book, which is the subject of my talk tonight, Autism Work. Again, Steve, incredibly kindly, came to me and said, would you, this is an important, such an important subject, would, would you like to write this book? And again, I didn't take too long to say yes. And it's been a great experience. Um, I um, didn't know this woman, Grace Igo Grace is a ceramicist on the autism spectrum, very talented. I didn't know when I was writing my book, but without knowing it, my main objective in writing the book was to highlight the positive message emerging from stories like hers. She was told by her psychiatrist that he couldn't give her a diagnosis of autism because that would mean that she would be unemployable if she had the label of autism. Um, extraordinary thing to say. And, and she's gone on to enjoy a successful career, as you can see, and to be diagnosed with autism. So my book was a positive uh, message to say, you can have autism and you can be employed right across the spectrum. And I'll show why I say that in a minute. This is Hans Asperger. I'm not going to talk about the controversy that's broken around him at all um, over the last few months uh, at all. That's, that's for another lecture. But uh, back in um, 1944, I just want to show how, how historically, how old the idea is that uh, people on the spectrum have a role in society and can find a job if you uh, detect and uh, track down the motivation. And so this is a quote from Asperger. He said, we can see in the autistic person far more clearly than with any normal child a predestination for a particular profession from earlier youth. A particular line of work often grows naturally out of his or her special abilities. Importance of work. Back in 1968, and under my film critic's hat just for a second, 
Peter Hall, uh, he wasn't Sir Peter Hall then, just Peter Hall, he directed a film called Work is a Four-Letter Word. Uh, lovely title. It's a great, it's a, actually a good, it's a good fun film, and I, I, I urge you to see it. Nothing to do with autism. Stars David Warner and Cilla Black, of all people. But we know that work, well, it is a four-letter word. It's a crucial element in all our lives in ensuring well-being, self-esteem, not to mention, of course, financial security. This is Temple Grandin, one of the most famous women in the world with autism, also designed about a third of all the cattle ranches in the United States, including John Wayne's. Um, and she said this, working is such an important part of my life. Without work, no matter how big or small the job, life will become small and unsatisfying for me. Without work, we discover we can give back to our family and community that have given so much to us. For many on the autism spectrum, work is the glue that keeps our lives together in an otherwise frustrating and sometimes confusing world. But here are the statistics, which are not, don't make very happy reading. Just 16% just of individuals on the autism spectrum have full-time jobs in the UK. And research from the last couple of years has found that only 10% of adults diagnosed with autism currently receive support to find employment. And yet 79% of people with autism on the unemployment benefit want to work. The prevalence of autism spectrum conditions is reported to be as high as 1 in 59 by the US-based Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. That would mean there are more than 600,000 people with autism uh, living in Britain today. However, only about 25% of autistic individuals progress to further or higher education in the UK. And as you see, only 16% um, have full-time jobs. And as Dame Stephanie Shirley put it in 2009, it's a shockingly low figure for a group whose main impairment is in social interaction. Compares with around 31% uh, for all disabled people and 57% for non-disabled people of working age in Britain. And furthermore, a study led by Professor Martin Knapp of the London School of Economics estimates that autism costs the country at least 20, 32 billion pounds per year in treatment, lost earnings, care, and support for children and adults with autism. It's true, of course, that the autism spectrum is a, is a very broad one, it incorporates a broad range, a wide range of abilities. Many people on the spectrum are very successful at work. Other people may have difficulties in the workplace. Some people may, will remain unemployed. Because of the spiky profile, the hierarchical structure of the workplace may suit some and hamper others. However, it's not the lack of skills, enthusiasm or motivation to acquire a job that are the barrier to employment for people with autism, but rather the abstract concept of appropriate in quotes, communication, interpretation of language, and ability to access services. So my first message is focus on the strengths of these individuals, not the deficits. And the strengths, what are they? Well, attention to detail. A lot of them have extraordinary attention to detail. They can focus on, uh, they're very good at proofreading, they're very good at data analysis, data checking, extremely good at data checking. They're punctual on the whole, not always, but very often they are on time or even early. They're honest to a fault. 
which means sometimes that can cause them troubles in the workplace because if a boss comes, gives them a piece of his work, puts, slaps it on their table, I've heard cases and they're quoted in my book, says what, you know, comes back and says, what do you think of that? That employee with autism is likely to say, I didn't think much of that. Or, or he might put it worse, than, or she might put it in stronger terms than that. And if you've got an unenlightened boss, that, that employee is out of the door very soon afterwards, unfortunately. But honesty on the whole is well appreciated in the workplace. Creativity, the ability to think outside the box in the workplace. We now know that people with autism are incredibly creative. That was not recognised for decades. The originality and uh, creativity was underappreciated. So employers, and I'll come back to uh, advice to employers, should think of changing the workplace conditions, not trying to change the person with autism. That's a very uh, crucial message to take back from this lecture tonight. Now, many people with autism who have special skills are not good at selling those skills. That's, that goes with the condition. Some have low self-esteem. Some are unable to, to verbalise their strengths, put them into uh, words that will make sense or, or do them a favour. Sometimes employees, employers should take the lead. They should concentrate, as I say, on what adults with autism can do, their strengths, not their deficits, and the specific talents which come with their differences. So employers should show flexibility and creativity because people with autism uh, um, have a lot to offer to society and Employers, and let me um, emphasise this for repetition, uh, they should concentrate on what adults with autism can do, their strengths, specific talents. They should think of employing a person on the spectrum because of their differences, not in spite of them. And a sound business case should be made for employing workers on the spectrum. It's not an act of charity to employ an autistic worker. That worker is going to be a benefit to the company from a commercial point of view, quite apart from the creativity that he or she brings to the workplace. Let me just give a concrete example of that, which I just heard about during my trip to Argentina last week. An IT firm decided to employ a young man with autism, and in his first week in the job, with that brutal honesty I was talking about before, he criticised the software that the company was using. The bosses luckily enough, were enlightened, and instead of bridling and rejecting the criticism, they asked the new employee to come up with proposals for improvements. And what he came up with was so much better that he saved the company billions of pesos. Even, now, even with the current devaluation of the Argentinian peso, and it's in a disastrous state, which was very good for me last week, because I was able to buy things very cheaply, but it's terrible for them in Argentina. But even that, if you, if you save your company billions of pesos, you're doing very well, and that's excellent news for the company. This is Torkel Zona. Torkel Zona, who founded Specialisten in the Danish company that's, whose aim is to uh, put a, a million people with autism into work by two, uh, 2020, 2020. Um, his son, Lars, is autistic. And here's the dandelion. What does the dandelion mean? Well, here's what Torkel said to me said, over breakfast one day. Kids love dandelions, but as you, be, as you become an adult, 
This love turns to hate. The dandelion has become a weed. It destroys the order of your garden and you want to get rid of it, but the flower is the same. Something else has changed. Your own norms have been replaced by society's norms. But what is a weed? A weed is a flower in an unwanted place. If you put the dandelion in a wanted place, it turns into a herb. I know this because I visited a farmer who makes a living out of growing dandelions. He harvests them for nutritional purposes. They give you back so much if they're treated well. And it's the same with people. If they're made to feel welcome, you have access to values. If they're made to feel... Uh, um, so what we're trying to do is to make autistic people welcome in the workplace so that employers have access to all the values. Uh, SAP is another company based in Germany, but it's now act, uh, active worldwide. Uh, German... Uh, founded by Germans, but as I said, uh, I think about nine or ten countries maybe more. And this is their puzzle piece metaphor. People are like puzzle pieces, irregularly shaped. Historically, companies have asked employees to trim away their irregularities because it's easier to fit people together if they're all perfect rectangles. But that requires employees to leave their differences at home, differences which firms need in order to innovate. So employers should realise that autism is a, a different cognitive style, one which may confer advantages in certain contexts. And there was an important uh, study from United, uh, the University of Stirling in, in Scotland in 2015, and uh, that showed that people with autism display higher levels of creativity than previously believed. And this link between autistic traits and unusual and original ideas was widely welcomed. In fact, autism involves many different cognitive styles. It also involves many different interests. The key is to identify the motivation of a particular individual and work with that uh, motivation, that interest, constructively and creatively. So let's have a look at which type of jobs are available or which are the best mash, match, the best mesh uh, for a particular individual. And it's crucial, I should say, to acknowledge here, right, I emphasise that people on the so-called lower end, and I don't like the expression lower functioning and higher function, but I'm going to use those terms as shortcuts here, but people on the so-called lower end of the autism spectrum can work if, they, if they co they're coached along the way and eased into the workplace. Jobs are available right across the autism spectrum. I'll show, give some examples of that in a minute. And this is a crucial and unique aspect of my book, Autism Works. Other books tend to focus on the so-called higher functioning end of the spectrum. It's also important to emphasise that people with autism, like those without autism, cannot be easily categorised. It should be recalled, Temple Grandin's first professional job was one which required using words, not images. She worked on a print journal, the Arizona Farmer Ranchman, and yet she famously thinks in pictures, of course. A book was called Thinking in Pictures, a famous book. Similarly, the late Donna Williams, Australia's most famous woman with Asperger's syndrome, was a poet as well as a painter. She worked in both words and images. So with that caveat in mind about oversimplification, I'm going to look at this kind, the kind of job to be seeking out depending on the particular cognitive style of the individual autistic job seeker. So jobs for non-verbal or minimal Minimally verbal individuals with autism, like my son, Johnny. 
There are some examples. Store, restocker, library helper, factory assembly worker, warehouse helper, office helper, odd job gardener. Positive examples. The bottle bank. There's a bottle bank worker in Belgium who, a non-verbal autistic, enjoys smashing bottles and gets paid to do it. Absolutely has great fun doing it. Poetry in Wood, I want to uh, emphasise this wonderful charity in East London, uh, run by Jackie Renfrey in uh, um, Whitechapel in East London. It's a remarkable, uh, it takes a big uh, pride of place, I would say, in the chapter, in this section on nonverbal uh, jobs in my book. They employ uh, people on the autism spectrum, nonverbal, to make objects out of wood. They produce objects out of wood and then they sell them in, by commission or in the local markets and they get a living wage. They get a standard living wage paid by Tower Hamlets, the local authority. It's, extraordinary, it's an extraordinary charity and it shows what people on that end of the spectrum, which people are neglecting, can do if you give them the chance. And I've been to visit and you see the look on the faces of these people and the look of happiness and self-esteem rising as, as you watch, as they, as they make it. Here is one. Thomas Robbins, non-verbal, autistic, uh, non autistic, very autistic, non-verbal, has no language at all, but look at him, concentrating on making this. And, they, and they're, they're very, very classy bits of wooden objects. It's an extraordinary story. Um, Jobs for um, tactile workers. Tactile learners are literally hands-on. And creativity in the workplace can find inventive ways of tapping into these skills and enthusiasms. 80%, as I say, of one car wash firm in the United States called Rising Tide, Rising, actually it's Rising Tide Car Wash, are on the autism spectrum. Um, another autistic individual in America has proven to be a wonderfully passionate guitar maker. And they're wonderful. I've seen them. Beautiful guitars he makes. Um, jobs for visual learners, commercial artists, graphic designers, web designers, cartoonists, photographers. Visual learners refer to see informa information presented in words, diagrams, or pictures. Um, many activities in the workplace, of course, do involve communication, verbal communication, but a surprising degree of communication is non-verbal. That's worth bearing in mind. Some individuals with autism spectrum conditions have become successful and creative in the arts, in the visual arts. Um, photographers, I would, I would like to stress, there are some extraordinary examples of photographers um, who film or make shots and film video and still photographers of the natural world. Um, they go around Central America, Costa Rica, and because of their detail, they can spot a little bird in a tree, which, which most of us would not even have seen. And they can close up, and they are beautiful, beautiful natural history photographers, natural uh, world photographers. Jobs for verbal learners, public speaking, acting. Many people with autism don't enjoy talking about their condition in public. However, some do. And um, they even turn it into profession. There's some very big names in the film world who've revealed that they have been diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. Uh, I'll give you just a few. Sir Anthony Hopkins. Sir Anthony Hopkins 
and he's freely admits he has Asperger's syndrome. Daryl Hannah, Dan Aykroyd, Paddy Considine, just to name, just that's just four, five names. And of course, I could also cite the well-known, highly successful TV TV presenters, Chris Packham and Alan Gardner. Now, Access All Areas uh, feature heavily in my book as well. They're an award-winning theatre company in London that runs the UK's only professional training programme for the creative arts for people with learning disabilities. And uh, the people who've emerged from that extraordinary programme include Kian Binchy, who worked as an autism consultant on the National Theatre's production of The Curious Incident and The Dog in the Nighttime. And most notably, I would say, Jules. Jules, uh, Jules Robertson, the son of the author Kathy Lett, on the right, who has Asperger's syndrome, as a star of the TV soap Holby City, playing a character with Asperger's. Um, his, his, name in the, his, his, uh, his full name is Julius Robertson, and he's one of the absolute, he, he, actually at the moment, I believe, he's one of the, the key, uh, has one of the key uh, storylines at the moment. Um, I'm glad to say he was, uh, he was at, my, at the launch a few, uh, last, year, last, last month, in September, rather. Um, on the left, Dean Beadle, uh, he's a public speaker. Anyone who hasn't seen him, they should. He speaks all over the country and even abroad, and he is incredibly enlightening, but also very, very funny about living, what it's like living with Asperger's syndrome. He's a marvellous speaker, highly recommended. Dean Beadle on the left. George Robertson on the right. Um, jobs for auditory learners. Susan Boyle and Derek Paravicini are two examples. Auditory learners uh, prefer to hear information, to hear information that they're, they're, through their ears. There are a considerable number of talented musicians on the autism spectrum. Many people with autism have perfect, uh, perfect pitch. And even more intriguingly, many people with perfect pitch have been found to have autistic traits, which is a very interesting uh, uh, feature which should be more studied, uh, studied more thoroughly, I believe. There seems to be no reason why a person with autism cannot make a living as a musician. Susan Boyle, of course, became a household name after appearing on the TV show Britain's Got Talent, and she subsequently revealed she had Asperger's syndrome. Derek Paravicini who also played at the, my book launch and it was wonderful, I think it was very much appreciated. Um, he plays with Jules Holland quite a lot. He's blind, severely autistic. Um, put him in front of a, a, a piano key, a, a piano, and he can improvise, he can play anything. You can shout out the name of it, practically any song from the American songbook or even the British songbook, and he will play it beautifully. There's an example of what you can do, as I was saying, on the spectrum, not what you can't. Derek is a, a very good example of that. Manual work, plenty of examples of manual, manual work to find, walking dogs, gardening. There are others, there are plenty of others. So, okay, you've chosen the kind of job you want to apply for, and you've made it through to the interview stage. What, do you, what then? Well, ugh, yuck, the interview stage. Um, the horrors of the job interview. Canadian study in 2015 indicated that adults with ASD fare poorly in job interviews. 
That's not a surprise, but even the higher, the so-called higher functioning ones do. Because interviews require interaction, eye contact, more, normally on the terms of the interviewer, not, the, not the, the candidate. They often require responses to abstract questions expressed in metaphorical rather than literal language, and metaphors are difficult for people on the autism spectrum. Some employers agree to supply the questions before the interview, but many still do not. Here's a wonderful guy called Jesse Saperstein, an American writer with Asperger's syndrome. He's written several books I highly recommend. You can find them on Amazon on about living with uh, all sorts of aspects of living with the condition. Here's his um, recommendations for the interview. Show up early. <laughs> well, they, they're usually quite good at that, but not always. Look, look after your hygiene and grooming. If you do disclose your condition, keep it positive. I'll come back to the issue, a very crucial issue of whether and when and how to disclose your autism a bit later in my talk. Do not make money the focus of the interview. I have talked to lots of people in the writing this book and they get into the interview and one of the first things they ask, they, when, the, when the interviewer says, anything you'd like to ask? And they say, well, how much are you going to pay me then? That doesn't go down very well. It's not a wise thing to do. And use humour sparingly and with extreme condition. People on the, Asperger, on the Asperger end of the spectrum, in fact, across the spectrum, do have a sense of humour. My, my son actually has a non-verbal, Johnny, a non-verbal, very uh, Charlie Chaplin, uh, maybe Buster Keaton more, a uh, non-verbal sense of humour. And they do have humour, but it, it comes out at strange times and in strange ways. So you have to be careful if you're on the spectrum to use it appropriately, and probably, I would say, to be safe, don't use it in the interview. Save that for later on in the workplace when you've got the job safely. Well-meaning stereotypes about autism. They're mis they're, they are well-meaning, they're, they're misleading, though, like all stereotypes. Not everyone with autism is good at IT. I've met tons of people thousands probably of people on the, on the Asperger's end spectrum who don't, who wouldn't know one end of a computer from another. In fact, they prefer, some of them prefer working in libraries. They're very good working with musty old books. Um, uh, terrific at that, but they can't, they're very poor when it comes to working computers. Not all people with autism are content to be repetitive tasks without becoming bored. Not at all. A lot of them come just as bored as, we, as the rest of us would. And uh, some people with autism can do well working in the service sector. So it's not necessarily true that the shift away from manufacturing towards the service industry requiring greater human interaction is detrimental to people with autism. Your ability to focus makes individuals with autism valuable employees in a number of professions where routine and repetitive tasks are required, and they do tend to feel pride in their work, no matter how small or repetitive the task. And they tend to be reliable and punctual, as I said, and honest. Um, let me give you an example of that last point. A wonderful example of someone working in the service industry, David Harris. And, uh, David Harris works 
uh, on the information desk at Paddington. You've probably seen him if you go from Paddington, opposite platform one. He is, he's got Asperger's syndrome. He, I've seen him, well, first of all, I've seen him at work with other, with other customers who complain, where the bloody hell is the train to Oxford? Where is it? And they get very, I mean, they, they say, well, actually, that's, not, that's weak language compared to what they come up to. They come up and swear in his face very strongly. And he just stays calm, answers very coolly. Uh, excuse me, so that there's a passenger on the line. Would you like our train to run him over, you know? And that goes down really well because all he does is unemotionally respond in a rational way. And that's what they need, these customers. And I've seen them go away happy. He's diffused the situation. And I'm convinced that it's his condition, Asperger's, that allows him to behave rationally, whereas his non-autistic colleagues would be red in the face dealing with that same customer. Um, I've actually had, also had my own personal gratitude to him because he's helped us out, helped me out when I was going down to a festival in, in, in Cornwall and um, he helped us, get, helped us get on the train ahead of schedule, ahead of the rush when it was delayed. So he's a tremendous guy. David Harris, if he's there, if your train is delayed at Oxford, uh, on the, or anywhere, going from Paddington and David is on the information desk, you're in luck, is all I can say. He's a hero. Uh, a word about um, unpaid internships. Do they amount to exploitation? Um, well, while there's no doubt that any form of meaningful employment, paid or unpaid, can increase feelings of self-esteem in these individuals, as in all members of society, autistic or not, claims have been made that such unwaged placements amount to little more than exploitation. As Professor Elizabeth Hill of Goldsmiths College London, as she was, on the, I'm glad to say, on the steering committee of our book, of the book, Autism Works, she told me you have to pay. Internships are exploitative across the entire population. On the other hand, she added, huge numbers would be deprived of job opportunities completely if you eliminated internships. So it's a complicated area with argument on both sides. Now, Little Gate, I want to emphasize another of the stars of my book. Um, it's a farm in near Rye in Sussex, uh, where young people with autism volunteer as farm workers and are then offered jobs in nearby towns. One woman, Angela Dello, has worked part-time in an Italian restaurant, and she's said to make the finest tiramisu in the south of England. Non-verbal, autistic, here she is with her tiramisu. Look at that face, look at the pride. Here she is opening her first payslip, even more important. And when, she, and when she and the others return from their part-time jobs to work at the farm, I've seen it for the rest of the week, so they go back to volunteering at the farm, their whole posture reveals a new self-confidence. I've seen their, they, they just, they're posed, they're more upright, they're more confident. It's extraordinary what having a job does to a human being. And that applies, of course, to people with autism as much as any of the rest of us. Talking about Angela, uh, another unique aspect of my book is women with autism in the workplace. I've got a large section dedicated to this. There's clear evidence that females are better at camouflaging their autism than males, but this effort can be exhausting, depressing, and 
distressing. They can arrive home after doing a good day's work in, uh, at the office and they're completely shattered. I've talked to their partners and they say it's, it's not worth even trying to talk to them. The person, the woman, when she comes back, she just needs to lie down in a darkened room. Kevin Pelfrey, who studies this a lot at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., he told me the systems dealing with stress are constantly being taxed. Women with autism have two jobs to pass as neurotypical and to do the job itself. They are not given as wide a latitude for being different. Exceptions are made for boys. If boys are a little bit unsocial, that is not deemed as being mean or cold. Here's some of the general issues, not just for women, but for right across the spectrum, uh, the sexual divide uh, in the workplace. So you have sensual distractions, because you, it must be acknowledged there are very real differences. Having stressed the positives, and I, I do continually stress the positives, what they can do, these, the people with autism, but you have to recognise, and employers have to recognise the cognitive and sensory differences associated with the condition. Now, DSM-5, published in 2013, recognised, uh, finally, included sensory differences in its definition of autism uh, spectrum conditions for the first time. And in recent decades, workplace environments have increasingly become open plan. Um, the, there, are much, there are other serious problems. Here is an example of... Um, a, a, a real, prob, a real um, employee, Georgia Granger, who's an autistic uh, disability advocate in Northern Ireland, and she experiences considerable disabilities, uh, difficulties, not, I, I wouldn't say disabilities, but difficulties in the workplace. And here's what she says. She says, the offices I worked in were open plan, where even if I wasn't required to do phone work, there'd be phones ringing and people speaking on them all day. My brain can't tune out other noises around me. It always focuses on them, and it means I can't really do anything else but listen to them. In one office, I was told I couldn't put earbuds in, even without music playing, because it didn't look as I was working, even though I was still doing the task I'd been assigned to of writing content for a website. This goes on. Office lights often, quite often make me feel anxious, a sign for me that I'm getting close to sensory overload because I'm hypersensitive to light levels, and they're usually a bright, a a bright blue-white light whereas I work best in dim lighting or with warm coloured lights. Natural light is also quite difficult for me because of it changing throughout the day, so I, I can't work next to windows. Most office chairs make me fidgety. I'm much more able to focus if I have a laptop on my knee or at least a, a keyboard because then it feels I have a tactile connection to what I'm meant to be doing. Now, the important point to note in connection with that is most of these problems that, that she's describing are very simple to fix and very cheap. They don't take long. They, they're really very, very small changes, and yet employers sometimes talk as though these are massive, great accommodations, massive, aggressive changes that have to be made to the workplace, though they're not, mostly, and they would improve productivity immensely. So another, another of the problems in the workplace is executive function. Difficulty in establishing goals and generally planning ahead. They're common in autism. It makes it hard for workers on the spectrum to time manage, which is so important in 
most workplaces. Indeed, work employers frequently prefer speed to accuracy, whereas so often the strength of people with autism is focusing on detail, data checking, for example, rather than rapidity in completing a task. And again, Gloria Granger has a good word to say on problems with executive functions. I constantly have to balance how much effort and energy I put into something with whether I've had time, had time to recover from it. It's really difficult for me to start and stop something I'm working on while that focused. The hidden curriculum. What does that mean? That's uh, a term used by uh, Brenda Smith-Miles. Uh, it's the social niceties which form an inevitable part of the workplace environment. The obligation to engage in small talk and to understand the rules and context and avoid taking them too literally, all of which can play havoc in difficult, different ways depending on the nature of the employee's, employee's autism. Um, Barbara Bissonette cites the instructive case of a woman with Asperger's syndrome who was first reprimanded by her boss because she texted her boyfriend in office hours and she protested that the, that the rules stipulated no personal telephone calls. And she texted. And she said, what was that about? I just texted. And then she was dismissed from her job because she took a toilet roll back home um, after realising she didn't have time to pass the shop. And again, she complained in vain that the regulations prohibited no removal of office materials. And she, she persisted and insisted that the toilet was not the office. It didn't work, unfortunately. She lost her job. Interestingly, Temple Grandin believes that work-related social difficulties are often less severe for people on the autism spectrum who have more obvious disabilities, such as no speech. She says, once other employees understand autism, they're often very helpful. It's the people who are closer to being typical who have the worst problems with office politics and jealousy. That's a very interesting point, not made very often. One of the sad truths, indeed, for many people with autism is that the higher up the employment scale one climbs, the more social one is generally expected to be. There are cases of successful solicitors with Asperger's syndrome who climb the ladder but feel so unable to, to cope with increased social responsibilities that they've stepped down again or even out of the profession altogether. And here is another woman with, young woman with autism who said, the hardest relationships are with team members and bosses as these are more intense than the business relationship. Your team are around a lot, so allowing a space to go somewhere else to work in the building can ease the pressure. Much has been written on the important issue of bullying of autism in autistic pupils in schools. Very little so far has been written about bullying in the workplace. That's been neglected in my book, redresses the balance, I've got lots, of, lots on that. Um, it can seriously blight anyone's health, causing consequences, health problems, depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and here's an example of one who has suffered greatly. Thomas made a brilliant data analyst, data, analyst, data checker, um, but has suffered terribly uh, from bullying in the workplace over the, over the years. He's now finally found a niche and I, I don't think he's being bullied at all at the moment it's a fantastic to see how he's progressed but it's, it's blighted his um, career I would say over many years and I would, he would definitely agree with that a word about 
an important issue of whether to disclose your autism in the workplace. I deal with this in great detail in my book, arguments made very forcefully on both sides of the debate, both for and against disclosing. Just to summarise briefly, those who argue strongly against disclosure, um, they say this sets up a situation in which the employee may be wrongly viewed as a kind of, wrongly I would say, a kind of time bomb liable to explode at any moment. Diana Murray puts it this way, disclosure of an autism spectrum dis dis diagnosis means disclosure of the fundamentally flawed personhood implied by the diagnostic criteria. It is likely to precipitate a negative judgment of capacity involving permanent loss of credibility. Of course, part of the problem Diana is um, highlighting there is a deficit-based criteria which we are working with um, at the moment. The, the criteria... Uh, of autism are all about what's wrong, what, 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 not, not the strengths, but the deficits. On the other hand, Jamie Knight, one of the BBC's leading website developers, favours disclosure. He says, masking who you are is a waste of energy and ultimately the BBC hire you for your talent, your insight and your perspectives. An autistic person is an asset to be valued, not something to be hidden. Sarah Hendricks from Aspire, I'd like to give an example, a real example, from Aspire in Brighton, uh, cites the telling example of a young man who went to work at a shop selling hot snacks without disclosing that he had Asperger's. And soon, he found himself unable to sustain a full day's work and his behaviour became very erratic. When his boss learned the young man had Asperger's, the employer expressed relief and willingness to try and work things out. More significantly, the boss said, he wished he'd known about the man's condition from the outset because he might well have offered him a part-time position instead of a full-time one. And that would have made all the difference. So there's an example, a strong example in favour of disclosing. There are examples, as I said, on both sides. Uh, one on the other side of the, the, the coin, just another concrete example, Dami Benbo, the participant coordinator of the charity Ambitious About Autism. He revealed his autism to colleagues before one internship. In response, they bullied him. They told him, autism is a made-up diagnosis so that people can get away with whatever they want. That's what he was told. Now, I'm glad to say, first of all, that's complete rubbish, of course. But secondly, Dami has found a happy niece ambitious about autism, helping young people with autism to become active citizens in their communities through his My Voice, product, uh, My Voice project. Having this job has let me rebuild my shattered confidence and self-esteem, he says. So that's a, a happy ending to that story. Okay, so if the workplace proves too difficult, what about self-employment? Of course, that may be an option in some cases. There are several advantages. It eliminates the hidden curriculum of the workplace. It permits a more controlled structuring. But of course, there is a lot of stress, there are records to keep, Temple Grandin puts it, freelancing is not for the faint-hearted. Positive example, Alex Lowry, successful public speaker. Today, um, he was trained in public speaking by the Welsh charity Autism Cymru, became self-employed in 2013, um, and um, he still indulges in Stimming. He has a piece of string with him everywhere he goes called Freddy. 
like my son, by the way, who has his favourite piece of string. I don't know what name he calls it because he can't, hasn't got any language anymore with my son Johnny. But it's extraordinary that it, uh, all ends of the spectrum have this, uh, have these an attachment to objects sometimes. Um, and also, of course, he started, point to, to stress at the top there, uh, he started working with his father in, a, in an office room and found it boring and repetitive. So we were going back to demolishing that myth, that stereotype, that everyone on the autism spectrum is happy to do repetitive work. No, they are not, very much not. Just very quickly on this, um, uh, a study by Anne Cochrane and Lara Warburton uh, from Nottingham Business School, Nottingham Trent University. Uh, they did a study of uh, Asperger's syndrome in the employment context. They asked uh, employers uh, what they were looking for, uh, and employers did value high work ethic, IQ as you'd expect, and but surprisingly, attention to detail, honesty, and directness were variously seen as strengths or weaknesses, depending on the specific job role, which is interesting uh, observation. And they add that employers should question if positive values of these softer skills are more appropriate. Is it being empathetic and a good communicator always necessary? And I have lots of cases in my case studies in my book of examples of people on the spectrum who are able to stay uh, clear-minded. In fact, David Harris at Paddington was one, but there are many more in the health service. People, uh, a case of a person coming severely injured into the A&E uh, with very serious wounds, and the person with autism working on the, on the night shift was able to cope much better than the non-autistic nurses at the same time because she was able to stay cool and calm uh, under those conditions. Not saying it always happens, but, it, but it's um, John Adams, a uh, very talented uh, musician, artist, uh, painter, um, poet as well. Um, very much believes in neurodiversity, the idea that autism is a, a difference rather than disability, certainly on the higher end of the spectrum. Uh, but he still has problems, as he would freely admit and because of how society treats autism, not how autism is in itself. That's his key uh, point. If people understand what autism is, then it would make life a lot much more pleasant and much more productive and much more creative for society as a whole. Just a quick word about um, uh, advice to employers. So eliminate the fear of the unknown. Uh, learn about autism and also avoid well-meaning stereotypes. Tailor the interview process. Try and uh, pare down the, the questions, the, the metaphorical, or avoid them altogether, the metaphorical questions. Be aware of the autism advantage that all the skills that I've talked about in this lecture. And remember that employing a person with autism is not an act of charity. It makes good commercial sense. There are certain jobs which people with autism can do just as well, if not better, than those without autism. And that's something that employers should bear in mind. Gloria Granger keeps coming up with these good quotes I can use. Said, choosing to hire me based on my autistic accomplishments and then expecting me to work in a non-autistic way doesn't really make sense. Just a very quick word about future trends. What's the likely direction of trends in the employment of individuals on the autism spectrum. Are the prospects generally encouraging? 
with greater awareness of the issues and the strengths associated with autism-specific cognitive style, as some insist, um, or are they becoming less autism-friendly with a growing focus on multitasking? I think the balance is, I think I'd like to be optimistic, I think the, the balance now is moving in the right direction. Long way to go though. Quick, again a brief look about uh, a use of new technologies, because I believe some of these also hold out a lot of hope. Virtual interview training, there are a lot of uh, trials of these around the world. Uh, uh, not a real person, but a, a computer or a computer image uh, training autistic candidates to, to, to do the, go through the, the uh, interview process. This seems to be quite successful so far from the uh, these early studies we've had. Um, I'm not convinced we should have anything to fear from artificial intelligence. In fact, there's a new report, as I quote here, um, from California, joint, from jointly from California and India, suggesting the introduction of AI in the workplace will free up time otherwise dedicated to routine tasks, and this free time could then be employed creatively, including by people with autism. This is a, a robot, a strange-looking robot, uh, designed by Edinburgh's Harriet Watt University to teach autistic people to recognise social cues. Um, but actually, it seems to be doing a, a very uh, good job. It um, it's actually seems to be fostering from, um, social communication interaction in the workplace. They've tried it out. Um, initial work solely involving solely involving the, ro the robot's head, and they're now working on a full-body version which will teach further social skills. This is just an excuse to show my family one more time. Uh, I, I, I never resist. So this is uh, Johnny in the middle with his two sisters, Lara on the left, Katrina on the right. The importance of the siblings in the process of, well, whatever stage the child with, or the, uh, with autism is at, they, they increase self-esteem. Look at that smile on his face. Um, and um, just a final quote from Simon Baron Cohen, which is, um, he told me, oh no, this is a quote in 2007 actually, Simon Baron Cohen, he said, never been a better time to have autism. Why? Because there's a remarkably good fit between the autistic mind and the digital age. For this new generation of children with autism, I anticipate that many of them will find ways to blossom, using their skills with digital technology to find employment, to find friends, and in some cases, to innovate. Thank you very much, and please ask me any questions. I think we've got about 10, is it 10 minutes? Thank you, thank you.